Hello there. You're listening to the Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. That's the other part of my line. <laughs> and I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We're also going to be giving our thoughts on the newest MCU movie, Eternals. Eternals. like fade in right about now as it's coming in and you're hearing my voice we're gonna talk about some news we've got a spider-man no way home poster that i don't think i may have seen it i feel like alexa shows me a bunch of different posters and i always think they're fake and one of them <laughs> might have been the actual poster is it the one with doc ox arms coming in yes. on peter Correct. okay so i did see the right one it's cool it's it's exactly what i expected yeah that's all right so here's my actual question i wanted to get to the trailer for it is going to come out probably next week sometime. What the heck? <laughs> yeah, dang it. You can't, you can't do the bloody visual thing when it's an audio. <laughs> I mean, at least non it or something so they can get an idea of gross. So, so, so basically I'm putting a pencil in between my lips instead of my teeth like people normally do. And it makes me look kind of like a... Uh, what does it look like? It looks kind of like a, a hippo, but with side teeth or like a walrus with like a side tusk instead of like down tusks. Uh-huh. I'm a sideways Walrito. <laughs> How dare you use the Evoke name of Lord name. and Savior on this show. Anyway, about Spider-Man. The, yes. um, the trailer is likely to come out next week and then also maybe early pre-sales. Who knows? But do you want a trailer that features or at least hints at the Maguire and Garfield Spider-Man being in it, or would you not want that in a trailer? And would you want that to be saved exclusively for the theatron? Is this question being evoked by the rumor that Sony and Marvel are in debate about whether they should feature these two Spider-Men in the trailer? Is it's that, that and also the rumor. fact that another leak came out the other day <laughs> featuring the three of them, which yeah. is thus far the best leak. Like, it's the one that's most likely to be real mm-hmm. since they, like, actually had them take it down and whatnot. So, yeah, just because there's been such discussion about it, and, of course, there's been, like, those multiple photos about either their suits or the Andrew Garfield thing, there's so much discussion about it. And to this day, the line is still that they're saying, no, they're not in this. Yeah. My argument is the only way you can show them off in a trailer is if you show their entrance into the movie and that needs to be saved for the movie. It shouldn't be given away in a trailer. Right. So no, we shouldn't see them until the movie. They should just like show us like green goblin or something, like something small or like Sandman or something. And like another villain that they haven't confirmed. Like if they showed like lizard, that'd be cool. There you go. That's a new thing for the trailer. But if you give away the Spider-Man, that's just too much. Like I want to see their entrance on the big screen. And I want that to be like the surprise, like, how are they building that up? You know, I don't want to see it on my phone on a trailer, you know? <laughs> sure. Would you want, what if you see, it's like a shot of 
their feet or something. Like you see multiple spider costumes, just like a glimpse of that's fine. Other yeah. Spider-Man. So it's not like they're full. Confirming it, just, confirming like, it is not my problem. My problem is that I feel like they'll show too much, and I don't want to see too much. If they just show like, like if they just show, like they're like if they showed Tobey Maguire's like spider symbol on his suit, like walking up, like his chest walking up, like it's out of focus, and then it's him walking up, and then it focuses, and it's his spider symbol. That'd be kind of cool. And it's just like, oh, they're in it, confirmed. Like like a little thing that confirms it at the end of the trailer is fine, but if they show start showing like whole shots and like whole scenes of them doing stuff, that ruins it for me because I want to see that for for the first time on the big screen. I agree. I don't want them to speak at all, and I don't want a full yeah body shot of them mm-hmm. doing anything. But I don't. I feel like there does need to be confirmation at this point. Just I don't find a confirmation. Yeah, because yeah, at this point it needs to be save the how we see them arrive. Like, let that be the theatrical experience instead of, oh, the fact that they are in it. Because it's just the, the secret's out at this point. And whether or not they're in it is 100% going to get confirmed that very first night that it premieres. Yeah. So a bunch of people are going to have that spoiled for them anyway. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather them just confirm it, let everyone know, okay, yes, they are, in fact, in it. And then we can just anticipate, okay, when are they going to come in? How's it going to happen? This, this, and that. I think they would also, though, it depends on how much they're in the film itself. Because if their roles are pretty minimal, then, I don't know, putting them in the trailer would probably also make people's expectations become uh, exaggerated and very outsized. And then when we see them only in it for like five minutes, then people are going to be disappointed. The rumor is that Tom, of course, has the most screen time and then it's Andrew and then it's Toby, but... Number like actual numbers came out of like the actual screen time that each Spider-Man supposedly has in the movie. And I, of course, I have no way of confirming that is accurate, but it's still a good chunk of screen time for each of them. Like, I think the lowest amount of screen time was close to 40 minutes, which is a lot for just one character in a two hour movie. It is yeah. 40 minutes worth of screen time. I think that was Toby. So if they're giving that much screen time to the Spider-Man. That makes me excited. Yeah, absolutely. I just I hope they really nail it, though, on the entrances. If they are, in fact, in it. And we get this awesome superhero entrance with the Raimi score in the background as Toby pops up. Yeah, bro. I'm okay if like Andrew's appearance is a little bit silly and like hammed up, but Toby's has, has to be It's awesome, got to be dude. epic. It's, it's got to be, be amazing, dude. It has to be amazing. All right. Moving on from Spider-Man. Another franchise is uh, trying to get things going, trying to have a big finale, bringing everyone into the fold. Vin Diesel has publicly asked Dwayne Johnson to return to the Fast franchise to finish it off. Did you see that post? No, I didn't see that. I didn't know this until now. I'm going to read it out to you. This is what he said verbatim. My little brother, Dwayne, the time has come. (laughs) The world awaits the finale of Fast 10. (laughs) Little baby boy, the Dwayne. (laughs) As you know, know, my children refer to you as Uncle Dwayne in my house. There is not a holiday that goes by that they and you don't send well wishes, but the time has come. Legacy awaits. I told you many years ago that I'm going to fulfill my my promise to Pablo, who is Paul Walker. I swore that we would reach and manifest the best fast in the finale that is 10. Yes, that's what he said. I say... Repeat that, the best fast in the finale. He said, I I swore that we would reach and manifest the best fast in the finale that is 10. That is bad. (laughs) Yeah. I say this out of love, but you must show up. Do not leave the franchise idle. You have a very important role to play. Hobbs can't be played by no other. 
I hope that you rise to the occasion and fulfill your destiny. That is the post. That's do you know what this is about? On his Instagram. Do you know what this is about? Like the backstory of their yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's about drive. It's about power. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> we stay hungry and we and devour. we do, in fact, devour, yes. <laughs> the joint success. <laughs> you should have just commented that. Commented that underneath it. He just comments his entire verse. And it doesn't <laughs> apply. I think Dwayne Johnson should come back. I think it would be fun to see him again. He's one of the best parts in the franchise. Like his character in Fast Five, which you still need to watch, is great. Like Hobbs is yeah. a great, great character. And so I think him coming back to the actual main franchise as opposed to side movies with Shaw would be cool. I would like it. I'd like to see every single character that has made an appearance come back for the the the, the last one. Right. Uh, albeit except for Paul Walker. Yeah. Don't CGI him back in. Just don't do it. It's not <laughs> worth it. Even though his character is alive, don't do it. They're probably going to try at this point. But I would like to see Dwayne Johnson return to that franchise. I think it'd be great. But currently, they're not on great terms still. He's said things like, oh, I'm not going to return. Uh, mm-hmm. And he's it's not like he needs to or anything. He's no. not in a predicament financially at all. And he's got a bunch of roles coming up. He invested all his, of his money into that rap. Yeah, he's got a great music career now, so he doesn't need a fast franchise. But I would, for the closure of it all, it'd be great for him to return. And I just think it's so funny that he posted this on his Instagram. Like, he's publicly trying to guilt trip him. And also... It's a trying... good guilt trip, too. Like, it, it's working for me. Like, I'm going to think The Rock is just an asshole if he doesn't come well, back. Well, that's what he's doing, but it's so, like, clear that that's, like, the rhetorical strategy he was doing. 100%. Of being like, oh, wow, you're not going to rise to the occasion. But yeah. you're not a real man, are you, Uncle Dwayne, if you can't show up? My kids, my kids send you well wishes. You're not even going to give a fast 10 to them? My Paul Walker's dead. I'm invoking his memory. This is the promise I made to him. You're right. going to really make me fold on that promise? It's like, wow, I mean, it's going in for it. Yeah. And I wonder what, I'm sure Dwayne Johnson doesn't appreciate that, but we'll see if he ever does respond um, and whether or not it ends up working and if he returns. Yeah, I mean, we know The Rock is going to put in the work and put in the hours, <laughs> and he's going to take what's ours. Well, there is no question about that, yes. Yeah, in other news, Black Panther Wakanda Forever has delayed its production until early 2022 because of an injury sustained by star Letitia Wright, who was playing, oh my god, I forgot her character's name. Shuri? Shuri, yes, thank you. I actually forgot. Completely. <laughs> but she may be the next Black Panther, we don't know yet. And it seems like if she's sustaining injuries, she's doing some pretty top-tier stunts, which means she might be. But yeah. also, she did stunts in the other one, so it doesn't mean anything. That's true, but they are delaying it quite a bit um, for her. Like, I think they shot the rest of the f- films that they could shoot without her, but then they're, she's still not able to return. Um, so I still hope she's Black Panther. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. I feel like the Okoye route, that'd be cool. Or in Oh, that would be cool. He was cool as well. Mbaku. Mbaku, yeah. Um, Blow my Mbaku out. (laughs) (laughs) Have you not seen that? No. It's them reading, like, thirst trap tweets, and he goes, Mbaku, blow my Mbaku out. (laughs) See, that's that's why he should be He should be the Black Panther. What? Alexa says they're giving T'Challa a son. I don't know if that's correct, but we will... Really? Cool. Who did with um whoever Lupito yeah. Lupita Nyong'o uh, plays? Assumedly, yes. Interesting. Huh. I don't, maybe they'll be like 
but like, how would be like a child at this point? But yeah, why would five it, years? Why would it? Yeah, he's not going to be able to take over the mantle. So maybe he's like a five year old, and it's like it's just about him learning about his father, and then maybe in a couple of years he'll be old enough to do his own thing, in like ten years. Maybe I don't. I don't That's know like a idea. long because they couldn't do a time skip or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, so they weird to their, They could at the oldest he could be six years old because you got a five year time jump for Avengers. Say he's say that she's pregnant in because we don't know what happens to uh, Lupita Nyong'o's character. So let's say she's pregnant at the beginning of. You can even say she's pregnant right after Black Panther, which is twenty eighteen, and so that is what. Avenger, the other Avengers came out in 2018 as well. Wait, no. Black Panther came out in 2017. So it's a year, so it's five years, plus that one year before, plus the one year after. He's like seven or eight, maybe, as the oldest he could be right now. Yeah, still I mean, he's not, he's not doing nothing. So. No. So he may just be a character, but he may not be the Black Panther, or maybe set up to be the Black Panther one day. Sure. Who knows? Another new Stranger Things season four got a new official trailer. I took a look at it. Did you take a look at it? I did. Looks okay. Yeah, it looks uh, all right. They're just so compared to how old they were when it first started. It's just insane. Like they're way, way older. Yeah, I think they're saying, now they're finally like, going into 19. high school. They're finally going to high school, and yeah, these people are like paying taxes now. I'm like uh, weird, <laughs> but they better I mean, be yeah. paying taxes before <laughs> tax dodgers. <laughs> well, I mean, they're kids, so they personally weren't. I mean, I guess. The money I mean, that they kids, get paid to their parents. Yeah, they still have to be. pay. Even kid actors still have to pay taxes if they make enough money. Like kids who make money still have to pay taxes. It's just a different rate, I think. Well, sure. But I think there's like no way you don't tax, pay. Though. I mean, they're making like millions of dollars off the show. There's no way they're not paying any income tax because they're underage. Right. Well, we'll see. But I think that goes through like the parents or whatever. Perhaps. I don't know. It's a thing. Uh, anywho. Yeah, it looks okay. I'm interested to see how it'll all finish mm-hmm. but yeah i know the hype has definitely died down since the years in between the seasons yeah certainly for sure i'm not as hyped it's just it's the same thing every time is there's a villain they beat the villain everything's calm once again and then <gasps> it comes back and it's like bro you're repeating your pattern do something different this time like I guess that is just how you have to do it. Like you have to have a finish to the season, but you could always just leave it on more of a cliffhanger than you do. Like they always beat whatever the big baddie is for each, each season, and then it's like, oh, there's a bigger baddie. Well, yeah, the issue is that it just feels like it restarts every time, and then we just rehash the same, the same thing. There's always a bigger which is fish. Frustrating, yeah. Uh, bigger jaws. In other news, Leonardo DiCaprio. Is going to be playing Jim Jones in the movie about you know the whole Jonestown cult. So, yay or nay on that one, Dylan? Yeah, sure. I mean, he could pretty much do anything at this point. He has the 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 clout, the star power to do whatever he wants to do. I just I'm kind of tired of seeing him play real people. I don't know. I'm I miss the fictional characters he played. He's played like real people in so many things recently. I mean, he that has. was Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, the Revenant, uh, what is the what is the one movie? The Aviator. Uh, it just keeps playing just real people. And I'm like, Leo, be a fictional character for once. He's the, the Martin Scorsese movie doing Killers of the Flower Moon. That's a real person. He did Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and that was a fictional character. And he was great. I'm like, bro, make your own characters. Don't just repeat 
Like you're, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to do. It is definitely like an accomplishment to truly embody a person who was a real person, but I'm getting tired of biopics and they're all the, all the famous people are doing biopics because they keep winning Oscars for them. And so they're like, Oh, cause like there was one year in the past few years where it was like all five of the best actor nominees were nominated for playing real people. And it's like, come on. It is more impressive to me when you you like embody a, create your own character that is unique that is not a real person like Christoph Waltz as Hans Landa or uh what's his name uh Daniel Day Lewis as the there will be blood guy Daniel something Daniel Plainview. Daniel Plainview yeah I drink your milkshake. <laughs> What does he yeah. say? Drainage. Yes. Brilliant. Oscar winning performance. Creating that character. Um, I don't know. I think it's it's fine. I definitely see how it can get annoying when people do display real people all the time. That is unfortunate. Um, but it is certainly a skill of its own because then you're immediately getting compared to the actual person. And if you're yeah. not able to embody them, then it just falls flat right away. It's about how good you can impersonate the character while also making it unique to the tone of the film, which is a skill in of itself. But I like watching people create their own characters that are fake. I think it's more interesting. I think fake stories are cool. Lauren, I just hate to see all these fans. People just keep doing biopics to win Oscars. But at the same time, Jim Jones is interesting. The Jones sound cult is interesting. They all wore sneakers and killed themselves. It's interesting. <laughs> they did do that. And yeah, it's, I mean, it's Leo. So he always is very picky with which projects he ends up doing. Mm. So hopefully it will uh, be great. It certainly will be interesting. His performance, I'm sure, will be great in it. But yeah, I am looking forward to that. Yeah. And he also, later this year, Don't Look Up. Isn't that a fictional character? I mean, oh, you're character right. Piece, you're right. You're right. It is. I'm excited for that. He looks good in it. I mean, he looks like he's going to do a good job. It also looks so funny. Jonah Hill looks so funny. In that. <laughs> yeah. Timothy Chalamet is a, a redneck. Yes, please. Meryl Streep is the president. And, and Jonah Hill as her son. That's just great. <laughs> this is great chemistry. Jonah Hill is going to be so fun. Jonah Hill is top tier actor. Yeah, hopefully that's coming out. December. No, December? Okay, gotcha. I yeah, think close to Christmas, that. if not on Christmas. That'd be I weird. think it is Christmas because <laughs> it's a weird Christmas movie. Well, Vice came out on Christmas, and that's what my family did on Christmas or <laughs> close to Christmas is we went and saw Vice. It was like the 22nd or 23rd. We went to see Vice, and I was like, this is not getting me in the Christmas spirit. For real. Yeah, let's yeah. go get stressed and mad. About real Dick Cheney. Uh, okay. Next, Transformers, Rise of the Beast. That's been delayed one year. It was originally going to be 2022. Now it's going to be summer of 2023. That also coincides with and unrelated, but it's just another major property that's getting delayed. Star Wars Rogue, Rogue Squadron, which Patty Jenkins is supposed to be doing, that got uh, delayed as well. I wasn't excited for that in the first place, so I'm fine. I'm not excited for either in the first place, to be, to be fair. So it's okay. Delay them indefinitely and cancel uh, them. I don't care. Just, I <laughs> Get am, rid of it. I am interested in Rise of the Beast just to see how they're going to try to revitalize that franchise. But yeah, the Rogue Squadron, I'm not too excited about. Also, other news, I don't know if this was actually confirmed or not, but mm -hmm. someone was saying that the Kevin Feige's Star Wars, the one that he's supposed to be producing, is going to yeah. be directed by Chloe Zhao. Bro. That'd be kind of cool. Is, 
fascinating given the <laughs> the poor reception that eternal scott but apparently he which i also don't think is fair like we'll talk about eternals but i think yeah. he got shit ended for no reason yeah but i mean clearly if most other people didn't like it kevin feige did and he trusts Zhao's vision wants to bring that to the world of star wars so that'll be pretty interesting to see mm-hmm. but yeah that is the news for the week now we have the box office breakdown for the week of november 5th to the november 7th that weekend coming in first as we predicted of course is eternals with a heartbreaking 71 million <laughs> that is the fourth best opening weekend in 2021 and it is the fourth best marvel opening it made 161 million and it's worldwide i'm devastated and i'm just going to say officially right now i'm throwing in the towel i don't think there's any way i can beat you ryan with the massive hit of spider-man no way home you could probably not even include matrix 4 and i'll probably still lose like you could probably get rid of matrix 4 and i'll still lose probably yeah this definitely did not do it you needed it to to be fair i don't think it was ever gonna meet like your expectations for it you're worldwide for sure it was never going to get there big bone. but this does seem like it's going to fall more along the lines of like what i had said of the 400 million if it can even break that mm-hmm. that seems to be what it's hoping for now um so yeah far cry from what you needed to do what you wanted it to do okay but ghostbusters is going to be the surprise hit it makes 100 <laughs> million domestic first weekend <laughs> Ends up being $1.5 billion worldwide. You never know. Paul Rudd is the sexiest man alive. I could bring a lot of people to... Bro, he's earned it. After all these years, it's about time. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, Eternals, $71 which I think that was lower than the lower end of my projections for it. You had it at, what, $90 or something? I had it close to $90, yeah. I I really thought it was going to be the number one Marvel opening of the year, and it just wasn't. Alas, yeah, big bummer. Had a, it I, had a good time slot. Nothing was else big was coming out this weekend. I was really hopeful for it, and nope. Yeah, yeah, really. I got and also as for the draft. Another nail in your coffin is the fact that Spider Man No Way Home did get approval for a China release date. That is also true. So yeah, if it it was already going to destroy Eternals even without China, but now the fact that it does have China and Eternals won't get any china release yeah you're kind of done for but we'll see i mean you never know crazier things have happened but ghostbusters afterlife is the number (laughs) one box office hit of the year i would literally i literally i will literally cry my eyes out if ghostbusters does good like cry tears of joy i would kill myself that would be i would watch you shocking thing you would tearfully watch me do it i would hold the belt over you and laugh at you <laughs> as you bleed out vicious um, vicious but, yep that sort of again we'll continue to see how it shakes out who knows eternals could have great legs but yeah not the thunderous arrival that it needed to be yep. in second place dune had 7.8 million so it's still doing well since third weekend it yep. was just number one for two weeks in a row and then yeah taking down by eternals um, but yeah, it's still holding in there, as is No Time to Die with 6.1 million, which was a 22% drop. That's pretty easy. Week. That is a nice hold. That's what I like yeah. to see. Good hold indeed. Venom 2 after No Time to Die had 4.4 million, which is also a 22% drop. Not bad. And it is now at 424 million worldwide, 
and has officially beat the 417 million worldwide of <laughs> Shang-Chi. <laughs> Don't giggle at me, you freak. It's all coming together, Dylan. Yeah. You're uh-huh. getting destroyed. So yeah, that also is doing well. That, I don't think, has gotten the China release date yet, which is weird, you think, especially with the No Way Home hype that's going on over there, that they'd want to capitalize on that. But we'll see. If that does get a China release date, ooh, that'll even be another hard hit to you. Um, but without it, it did what it needed to do. It overcame Shang-Chi. So I'm very happy with Venom 2's performance so far. Yeah, good for you. What's next? Ron's Gone Wrong has 3.6 million, which was a 3% drop. Uh, And after that, French Dispatch had 2.6 million, which was no drop at all, consistent from that previous week. And then Halloween Kills, 2.3 million, had a 73% drop. Fat drop right there. RIP to that. Heavy hitter, yeah. After that was Spencer, the movie by Princess Diana, which you and I saw, made 2.1 million. That's very low. But it was a good movie, so maybe well, it was like a limited release. It was only nine hundred theaters or something. So that is, I mean, it's not great, but it's That's pretty respectable for a art house film that wasn't in wide release. Not French Dispatch, not French Dispatch level good. That is true. Dispatch, it's doing its rollout and it's doing well until none. You should still uh, go see it. I'm going to. I'll Just go with you. Don't have the bloody time this week. Antlers with two million. That not doing great either. Speaking of not doing great, last night in Soho with one point eight million. Yeah, quite, shed a tear for Edgar. Quite sad. But moving on to next week, the predictions for um, November twelfth to the fourteenth. This is going to be Eternal second weekend. So, what do you think it'll get? I'm going to say kind of drop will happen for it. I'm going to say the bottom, the the minimum is thirty million. I'm predicting somewhere between thirty and thirty five. Really? No, nothing too big is coming out this weekend. I think people will come out for Eternals. I think it'll be close to a 50 to 55% drop, so I'm saying between 30 and 35. Wow, astonishing. I'm saying 25 million. Dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to it's gonna get below 30, I think. Um, well, there's okay. nothing happening this weekend. There's no big releases coming out. Clifford? Are you Clifford? That's going to bring out the, the little kitties who want to see a big red dog that is only okay in terms of CGI. Yeah, it doesn't look striking at all. But I think the word of mouth with the Eternals is going to keep people from flocking to it, and we may see a hard... But what about uh, those families who will avoid going to the theaters to see Clifford and go see Paramount? See it on Paramount Plus. Those those ten families. <laughs> you have Paramount Plus. Yeah, yeah, I think Clifford, which already came out as opening day, it came out on the 10th, which is yeah. very weird. Yes, but I think I for its weekend, it'll... It'll crack at least double digits in its mm-hmm. three-day weekend. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I think it'll get probably 15 million. Clifford, 15? Yeah. Maybe 20. Maybe 20 if if the families really want to come out. 20 is max, bro. But 15 to 20, sounds about right. I still think Eternals is going to be the top dog for the weekend. Whoa, nice burn. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Clifford will be able to take the number one spot. That would be embarrassing if <laughs> Eternals got knocked off. Clifford makes $90 million <laughs> in its opening weekend. After already being out for two days during the week. Clifford that dominates. Stunning. I think it can do it. It can <laughs> clean up. It can, it can do what it needs to do. But yep, that is the uh, theatrical stuff. And they're also, for the folks that are 
caring about streaming. Tick, tick, boom. The Andrew Garfield, Lin-Manuel Miranda pick is going to hit Netflix. Are you going to watch that in its opening premiere weekend? I'll watch it at some point. I think I'll have time. I'll, I'll be busy this weekend, actually. But I might have time tomorrow or I might have time on Monday. So I'm sure I will watch it at some point before we record whatever our next show is. And I can like say if I liked it or not. So you will hear my thoughts on Tick, Tick, Boom very briefly in our next episode. In the news section, probably. Very, very briefly. <laughs> You'll give your one-sentence review of it. Okay. Moving <laughs> on to The Eternals. Or actually, drop the Just Eternals. A review for it. So this is funny because you have expressed multiple times since you watched it last week that you have nothing to say about this film. It's yeah. just a nothing film to you, Dylan. It's just It's not a nothing film, it's just I liked it, but not that much. And so it's just kinda like I was there, I watched it. Parts of it are cool. I'm sure you like you can ask me questions and I can give my opinions, but I just there's nothing that I like I'm super adamant about talking like there was not like, oh, I really, really love this part or, oh, I really, really hated this part. It was just such an average film that I just can't possibly have like a real thought about it. So when you I will let you lead the discussion and talk about the things you like and I will pipe in with my opinion about what you're talking about. Yeah, we're just going to go through each of the characters and just comment on like what they were doing, what their whole deal was, whether or not those things worked. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're going to do it quickly but this will be i'm sure we're going to get into some of the spoilers um so if you haven't seen it yet go ahead and see it or don't since it's apparently just it's average is not that great um you can maybe wait for it to come out on disney plus but yeah we're going to start out with what i did want to see out is the narrative approach to it since it is quite ambitious it is expansive it covers like their seven thousand year presence on earth Uh, and multiple times they cut between the present and then some point in the far past Mm -hmm. Um, so did that work for you where they're sort of jumping between these points instead of approaching it alternatively as just starting off with their prehistoric arrival and then progressing through each of the major events sequentially do you like the fact that they cutting back and forth it definitely worked for me like i thought it was good Answer. I don't think telling it as a chronological story would have worked as well. Yeah, for me, the issue was just we couldn't get a solid hold on what was going on in either of the timelines when we were doing, when we went back and forth. In what way? In just that particular way. Like, we would jump between, like, the four characters, like the Sprite, Icarus, uh, Cersei. And then going like, okay, now we got to go round up the gang. And then we go way back in time to them dealing with the Babylon thing and mm-hmm. her uh, Ajax visiting with Erisham and being told, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Make sure you don't mess up. Um, it just, I was like, I couldn't get attached properly to the characters in either timeline. And it also was hard to, just because it is, like watching these god figures across thousands and thousands of years Mm -hmm. and there wasn't that much like personality to some of them i understand that change that happened to some of them it Mm -hmm. just definitely initially was hard to get me and also did you feel that the opening act or like opening hour was slow 
I thought the whole thing was kind of slow, man. I mean, well, it was, but it was like absurdly so in the very first hour. Like I thought it was grueling. Um, the pace grueling, of not necessarily. I would not say grueling. I would just say definitely trying to take their time to try and set up these characters, like intentionally slowing it down. And Chloe Zhao is a very slow-paced director. If you look at all of her previous work, so I kind of expected it to be a little bit slow. But there were definitely parts where you could pick up the pace a lot. And yeah. they did not. Which was unfortunate. And it's not like I have anything against a slow pace if it's earned. Like Spencer we, was quite slow. But I thought I it was liked it. well. I thought that was extremely, like I was. It was like a slow burn. Like a real slow burn. It's like true. It, it, was, it was, I really liked that movie. Yeah. I thought yeah, it was great. It, it was an effective uh, route to go for that. Where in this one, when it is jumping between these like major events, these thousands of years, and yet it just felt still so slow and so dull. Again, despite mm-hmm. having quite a, a significant cast, mm-hmm. it felt weird that it was so yeah almost lifeless and had no energy to it, especially in the very beginning. Um, but then they really tried to, I think, liven it up. This maybe was, I don't know, decisions on the producer's mm-hmm. part to be like, hey, make this more marvelly. Yeah, it's a character, and they're giving jokes. Yeah. That came in Kingo, made by Camille Nanjiani. And wait, just real quick, since we're not going to do a, a November grab bag because we don't have time this year, I just want to say I give Spencer a four and a half out of five royal divorces. <laughs> Incredible. What do you um, give it? Just real quick. I don't know. I'd still have to think about it and process it because, as you know, the some of the way the performance happened or the way that it's they very broker, it just, very interesting well sure but i don't know it it was kind of over the top for me in many places like i think i said something to like it just felt like she was sometimes when she would do her monologues or she would comment on things it just felt like some edgy 15 year old girl posting on their tumblr but i think the point was just to to briefly push back against that was to try and show what her her performance was for the public as the princess of Wales and as this figure who would one day be the queen. This is what she was giving and slowly she's cracking and like revealing her true self as she is put through the ringer by these royals who are really forcing her to do things she does not want to do. Yeah, I mean, I see that. I see the point of it and it could work. I just felt the way it was done was like significantly over the top, like the way that she would flutter her eyelashes and avert her eyes every four seconds whenever she's giving a line. Mm -hmm. She's talking about, wow all the human skin that's in this room, all the dust is mingled with the human skin. When I'm like, this is just so like dramatic. And she's just dropping these random uh, things mm-hmm. like every other conversation. So that was the greatest thing that was inhibiting my true investment in it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, visually it was great. The score was also very prominent. The makeup and hair and wardrobe was great stuff. Yeah. So I mean, all of that was really solid, but again, the emotional core of it, which was her turmoil, there were just parts of it where I was like, this just feels over the top. Also, I, we had talked about, like, I didn't know much of the history of mm-hmm. um, the royal family and whatnot. So going into it, I didn't realize, like, oh, yeah, she's married to the one that's going to become king, and so she's going to become queen. Yeah. Or I didn't know the whole, like, got cheated on. Like, they were hinting at that stuff, and, like, oh, you bought these same pearls. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, having a lack of some of that context, I think also probably made it more difficult for me to understand 
Mm. Like why she was in such this like horrible place and clearly unhappy. And I was like, why don't, why doesn't she just like, oh, like you don't need to be putting yourself through this. And of course it's that journey of her ultimately getting to that breaking point and uh, sort of upending her life and doing that, which I'm sure, I mean, yeah, that whole very traditional, very overbearing royal family. That's not an easy thing to do, mm. but yeah, that was the thing that was inhibiting me. So I'd probably give it right now a 3.5. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't know if it would really change too much beyond that. But it was very good. And I liked it. It's interesting. Neither of us picked Spencer for our Oscar draft because I think I'm I'm 100 percent confident she'll she Kristen Stewart will get a nomination, maybe even a win. Uh, costuming may get a nomination. Writing may get a nomination. Directing won't. Uh, score may get a nomination and maybe even a win. Uh. Production design may get a nomination. Cinematography will get a nomination. Like, it's interesting, like, having watched it, I'm like, there's a lot in here, technically, that I didn't think it was going to pack for me. But I I feel like we should have hammered onto that. Like, I think it can get quite a few nominations this year. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, that might out... be the one we missed, you know, in the same way that um for the box office draft, Free Guy was kind of the one we both missed. Right. Well, I think both of those were more of those like sleeper hits or yeah. at least there just wasn't enough obvious hype behind it. I think everyone mm-hmm. knew like the acting, at least like Kristen Stewart would be yeah, running, yeah. but the rest of it, um, especially because I think the Surprise director had it. done Jackie before. And I don't know if that was a critical darling at the award shows. I don't think it was. So I, I think that's why there wasn't enough people saying like, Oh yeah, this is something to watch out for, especially back when we did it, which was before it premiered at any festivals. Yeah, Jackie was only nominated for three, and it was music, costumes, and actress, which might be the right. three that this is nominated for. <laughs> yeah, I would interestingly say so. enough, but also maybe cinematography because I thought the cinematography was great in this. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, it was definitely very enchanting and mesmerizing. Um, anyway, back to the Eternals. It tells you something that we wanted to talk more about Spencer <laughs> instead of the Eternals. It's just um, I really do. <laughs> I just. I have so much more to say about Spencer than Eternals, but we'll keep going with this because this is what the episode is supposed to be, is Eternals. Yeah. Um, But again, I feel like that is just from, like, it has some things you can cling to, but for the most part, it's, like, kind of forgettable and unimpactful at the end of the day. Like, I don't know if I would ever choose to go back and watch this film. I will not. It's very untalkaboutable, which (laughs) kind of sucks. Like, I just... I can't imagine carrying a conversation about this movie. Whereas I could talk about Avengers. I could talk about Guardians of the Galaxy. I could talk about Shang-Chi. I could talk about Black Widow, you know, why I didn't like it. But there's just so much about this movie that is just so run-of-the-mill mediocre as opposed to truly horrible or truly great. That is just like, I'm bored and I just don't really want to talk about it. But we will go through each of the Eternals now. Kingo, played by Kumal Nanjiani, is a Bollywood star in the modern day. I think it is funny that they, they talk about how he is a generation of Bollywood actors in and of himself because he was the great grandfather and then the grandfather. Like he just keeps reinventing himself as part of this dynasty. I think that's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, he's definitely the best part of this movie. He He's like, there's not a lot of humor in the movie, which is fine with me. Like it's Chloe Zhao, even though it is a Marvel movie, that's fine and all. But Kumail Nanjiani knows how to deliver the humor in between the intense scenes because he's just so good at it and he knows exactly how to perform it. He definitely is the funny bone in the film and he is definitely uh just really great in it and just a, a great a-list star i knew you're gonna bring that up it's also funny that we've had more impassioned discussions about whether or not they're a-listers or not 
And to be clear, Camille Nanjiani is not an A-list star. He's absolutely an A-list star as of right now. The big sick, two out of 10 people maybe have heard of that. And not even one out of 10 person can tell you what it is. Silicon Valley, again, same thing. People just, he's been in some good things and he's like decently known, but he's not an A-list star. Give it up, man. Beat you up. Beat you up. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I... Wouldn't say he was the best part, but I definitely initially when he was brought in, I was like, "Oh man, not even Camille Nanjiani is going to be good in this. Can liven it up because the Bollywood number I thought was so flat. yeah, that part was stupid. Yeah. It was so flat. Um, that I did. I was not a fan of like that whole Bollywood bit in the, when we first introduced him, but the rest of the movie, I think he does have some great humorous moments, and I think he does perform well. And also, his power is the coolest, where he has the guns. I. I, I think it's that. the coolest. Bro. It is cool though when he in the trailer when he go. Yeah, dude. I think recoils. It's I think it is the coolest. I'm a fan of his power. Yeah, uh, but yeah, he did, and this is an overall thing. The movie definitely, I think, dragged him in the beginning and was honestly quite bad in the beginning. We'll talk about some of that other stuff. And as it went along, it got better for me. Like it won me over uh, slightly. And same thing with this character. Like the initial gag of making the documentary i was like you've seen this before it isn't really funny um but over time he was able to get a lot better like when they meet druig and his camera gets broken they're talking about that like that part was humorous and fun and also Mm -hmm. when at the midpoint when they're fighting the journals that show up i need this that that big shooting out the deviant from underneath and he's like did you get that and the dude was like yes sir and that was great um yeah we'll skip yeah we'll skip the the ending part of it and just introduce some of these other characters and get a gist of them Dina and Gilgamesh their little sub story arc it's cute but it's not it's not developed enough like it is cute and I like what they're trying to do with it but they don't it's just there's 10 of them and the time is not divided well enough to the point where I feel like I should care more about Gilgamesh and his character and the relationship he has with Dina. And it's just, it's like, it's this close. It's like so close to being enough time devoted to their relationship, but it's just not enough. Yeah. I feel the same way. That part was just very uninteresting to me because there was not enough time to connect. And also, I think that was also part of the like cutting back and forth. Um, Like we're not given enough time to truly latch on to these characters and really get a sense of them. And then in one of the flashbacks where we do focus on them, it's Dina um, succumbing to the memories or whatnot, the mad weary or whatever it is they called it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just starts going around and stabbing them. I'm like, okay, interesting. And then they know she's a danger from that point on, but they don't want to erase her memories, which is weird knowing what happens at the end of the movie when like, we know that they've been killed many times before and their memories have been stored in the thing and Ajax knows that and so I don't know why she wouldn't make sure to wipe Dina's memories again. But I don't that decision just wasn't sensible, especially for a leader um who just saw three, including herself, people get stabbed by Athena. It was just very strange not to forcibly make that choice. What I don't understand is that the point of the mad weary is she's remembering all of the like if she's remembering all of these past lives, I think the point is like she remembers all of. If she, okay, she's like a warrior. Like she, they all look up to her because they think she's great. But like, 
how do they know she's great if their memories are wiped at the beginning of each thing and Ajax is the only one that remembers everything? How do they know? How do they? The whole point is that at the very beginning of the movie, nobody remembers anything from their past except for Ajax. So how do they know that Thena is this warrior? How do they know that? Well, at that point in time, like they were at the whole Aztecs civilization getting destroyed. And so they've been there for thousands of years at that point. So they would know that she's a warrior because she's fought many Deegans up to that point. But I feel like the point they're making is that she has been a warrior as an Eternal for millions of years. Like, like that is like her thing for like, like she is like looked up upon by the other ones as if she is this great warrior that has been around a long, long time. And like, what's the point of the mad weary? Like, why don't they all have mad weary if the memories are the memories that they have from this one mission as opposed to the memories from all the missions beforehand? They make it seem like Thena remembers everything from before. Well, I think that is what it is. But if she remembered everything from before, then why does she not remember? Is the only thing that gets wiped from the memory the fact that the planet is destroyed? That Because that would make more sense. Is like They keep all their memories except for the planet being destroyed. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Again, I think it's a, a strange... I don't think it's explained well enough. If that was the thing, is like we keep our memory like they're all new eternals except for athena and ajak and you keep your memories except for the planet being destroyed at the end of the process i think that would be fine but they don't explain that well enough no i don't i don't think they do it's also weird if she is getting those flashbacks of like oh we're all gonna die so it seems like they do remember the fact that the planets get destroyed why does yeah. she then decide to kill everyone next to her like why is that the the next step, you say, oh, no, we're all going to die. Let me murder the people next to me. Instead of saying, huh, looks like we all perish in the great cataclysmic event of the celestial being born. Maybe we should find a way to stop this. Like, I don't know. It seemed weird, weird that that's the route they go. The other thing, then, with Ina is that whole battle with the uh, deviant that gets evolved, like sucks up. Mm-hmm. Gilgamesh and then later they have their whole fight. Yeah. I think that was so stupid. A little bit. I thought it made no sense to because it was a total waste of the deviant um like them as villains and then having one that's progressively getting evolved and they try to pose these like philosophical questions about oh, do we have the right to like go against the celestials who are trying to create billions of new life forms? Um, and we're saving these billions of people that are on Earth mm-hmm. uh, and preventing the birth of future celestials. Do we have the right to do that? And they're like bringing up those ideas of, okay, so what, what should we do? What is life? What is life that should be valued and protected? And then they have these deviants that are like living organic beings that are evolving. And now they're able to communicate and speak and they're sort of ant- personified now. They've got anthropomorphic features. And instead of continuing with that at all and having weaving them into that conversation about like, okay, what should be done? Because um, those were also beasts that are sort of tethered to the nature they were given and just being the apex predator, eating all these other intelligent beings. But now they're sort of able to break out of that, but they've also been resisting um, the celestials in a way, like being defiant, being the deviants. They should have included them in that conversation and had that discussion of, okay, 
how do they feel about this birthing of the celestial that wipes them out at the end of the day? Would they want to combat against that? If so, then why are they now fighting the Eternals that are also fighting against that? Why wouldn't they join with and fight Icarus? That is 100% what they should have done. Because they also set up later how Icarus is so powerful. They're like, we can't take him down. Can go leaves because he's he technically agrees with Icarus, but he's like, I'm not going to try to fight my family because of it. But they establish that we can't take Icarus down, not even together. Okay, if that's the case, then why not weave in that evolved deviant that we know is able to give him a run for his money and have him fight Icarus and they team up with the Eternals and that's sort of a subversive moment, but it's also them, the children of the Celestials that were fighting each other for millennia are now working together to preserve themselves and the people they love. That would have made much more sense than oh, Athena goes one-on-one with her, or one, one-on-one with that deviant mm-hmm. because she killed, because it killed the person that she loved or the person that loved her. It was just a weird choice to completely underutilize the deviants. Yeah, I have no explanation. It's also Bill Skarsgård is the deviant. That yeah, is and it's wasted. They don't even give him a name in the movie. They it's do in the show. credits. It's like Pro <laughs> or something. Yeah, I don't know. That was uh, that was very odd, and that's probably one of my biggest complaints with it. Because I do think what they do with Icarus, having him be the villain, mm. is very interesting. The way that he's the one person sort of remaining dedicated to their initial purpose, their initial cause. Now he's having to fight against these other terminals who have created bonds with humanity or with the Earth and want to protect it. Like that to me was interesting, but again, they had each character was able to like take them on. Like Dina held her own against them. Makari speeding round, beating that boy in, mm-hmm. and then Fastos was able to like chain him down to the ground. Which I don't know why. Once he did that, why they didn't also have Makari just slap him a thousand times and end him right there. Yeah. Like they each individually were able to, if not overcome him like keep him busy and occupied so if they all would have just worked together they could have beat him so i don't know why they established him as like yes he cannot be beaten he's the strongest eternal but then each of them individually are able to do just that yeah i don't know i feel like i think it's a good twist but i'm getting tired of the evil superman twist you know they did it in uh invincible they did it in the boys i'm just kind of getting tired of like what if superman was evil like we see that all the time nowadays and i'm just kind of getting tired of it i feel like it did it it wasn't like completely expected but at a certain point in the movie you do kind of realize oh icarus is probably a bad like it can't just be the deviants there's probably a bad guy within the group and at first i thought it was going to be druig but then i was like oh it's probably going to be icarus at at the end of it all and i just i don't know i just was was i'm just kind of sick of it it's just done so much nowadays that like let's do something different it would have been kind of cool to see druig go against them and be kind of like a more bad guy because he can control minds it's kind of a very interesting thing but of course they could easily stop him so it's not really much of a threat i don't know uh i'm just kind of sick of it moving on with more eternals druig and makari uh, there's not a lot of character 
building for Makari. She's kind of like the one that is least the least the least amount of time is spent on Makari. But I still thought she was cool. I thought it's cool that she uses sign language. I thought it's cool that she's fast. I think it's all I think the fast stuff was done well, technically speaking. So I thought that was cool. I think Droog is one of the best parts of the movie. I think it was a good performance. That's what I'm saying I think, I think so it too. was a, a very interesting tension that he has as being against Ajax and how he leaves them and is like these people deserve to be saved. These people deserve to be alive, and we are just letting them kill each other when we could stop it. I think that's cool. Yeah, I 100% agree. Like having that tension there where he does have the power to stop those things from happening, but because they're being instructed not to interfere at all, they can't. I um, mean, he's like, that is stupid. That's dumb. I'm going to avoid doing that. And he was going to lay down his life. He was like, if you want to stop me, you're going to have to kill me. Um, so yeah. that was interesting. I did think it was weird, though, because they said he was in the Amazon. Yeah. Like, that's where they came to found him. And I'm assuming the same people that he like saved and stopped at the Aztec place, um, Tenochtitlan it was, I think. Yeah. Did he just like migrate all of them down to the Amazon and then just kept them breeding for all those thousands of years? I guess not thousands, five hundreds of years. He might be finding other people. He might be going around the world and taking people that he likes or something, or just like going to nearby villages and taking people and just saving them. There's just not enough information to, to directly assume that he's essentially breeding a small group of people. Right. But I feel like the people he took, there was a large enough group of them, and they were all uh distinct enough to where i feel like incest wouldn't start hitting the main the main vibe of everything until i mean he has the mind control so he can do the work and be like okay who's related to who how do i keep this from being incestual? he could he could do the math figure it I out guess. he's just playing one big game of sims down there which pretty much yeah interesting um but yeah i, I liked him and his deal and then when they first go to him and he's like sort of being antagonistic and being like oh well we're all gonna die soon anyway and you guys were the one that were clued into this um, and kind of pissed at all of you for that. And then when he's towards the end is the one that has to like use the Unimind to mind control the thing. Like all that, all of his bits I thought were interesting. And also his like mini relationship with Makari that they touch on throughout, I think was, that was cute. Yeah, I think that was uh, like the best relationship they had throughout because there was no chemistry between Icarus and Cersei, I thought. It's just kind of the point. I mean... I, well, I don't know about that. Because this whole... Because, again, the ending with Icarus, you're supposed to believe that he is willing to break up with her for hundreds of years, kill Ajak, try to kill Makari, thought he killed Druig, but then when it comes time to kill Cersei, he doesn't do it because he loves her so much. And it's the one thing that's preventing him from carrying out his mission. Like, that is what we're supposed to buy into and believe. And I just don't, because they didn't have, like, he, they look at each other once. He goes, you're very beautiful, Sarsi. And then they kiss, they lay on the ground together in the first Marvel sex scene. <laughs> and hump. <laughs> like, three times. And as we watch his shoulders. Um, yeah. And, yeah, we're supposed to believe that that is the relationship that, he decides, okay, I will go against my programming just by killing and trying to kill multiple Eternals. But no, this one, I will not do that too. There need to be more scenes between them getting married and him leaving yes. of them so that we see them in love and believe that he loves her. Because all we saw was them flirting before they're married, them getting married, 
and then the present day when they're not together and she's mad at him and so it's yes. like it's not completely believable uh i agree i very much agree um fastos what do you think about him all right not really developed either that much i mean it's cool they gave him a family and it's cool that he's gay but like that's it i mean he's just not really developed i mean yeah. i thought it was kind of weird that they dropped in hiroshima that's what i'm saying it, it felt so strange i also didn't like the idea that he was like the person giving technology to humans like they sort of set that up and they're like oh no it's way too early for the steam engine mm-hmm. um in the way that they framed this it's also like how involved was he in the creation of that i doubt he actually like was running the manhattan project or anything um, so why was he so guilty about it? Um, but the alternative is if he did do that stuff, number one, why? Because that'd be like very clearly going to be used for war purposes. Um, and number two, I think he I probably gave him the that... technology that gave him the technology that gave him the technology to make the atom bomb. Like he's probably like working his way back and he's like, I gave them the, the stepping stones that led them to these horrible creations. And that's his sort of realization. But it's still, it, it is kind of played off like I made an atom bomb. Why did they use it? Right. Uh, It's very strange that they did that. I don't like the idea that he would have given humanity anything that would allow them to evolve, like develop to any other further technologies. Mm. And I also think it's so strange that, yeah, he would feel so guilty about the atom bomb to where he's like, that's it. I'm done. Humanity sucks. They're not worth it. Cut to him being the only person to have an actual family out of all the Eternals, literally having a child. And then when they say, yo, the world's about to end, He's like, uh, yeah, y'all have fun with that. I'm going to stay here and protect my son. What? How are you going to protect him if the world ends in four days because a massive celestial opens up the earth and comes out of it like an egg? I think, his, no op- sense. I think his opinion was, um, we can't stop it, so I'm going to spend time with my family before they die. I mean, I suppose, but wouldn't you do anything that you could to stop that? Like, I don't know, that's just a weird logic to have that they gave him and then also uh, I, don't know, I guess the uni mind that definitely felt like it came out of nowhere and then using the, yeah 100 that was very the, like bead or whatever it is that they were using to connect with erishan like why is that the thing that makes them all connect i don't get it but no there's not yeah. a lot of thought going into that moving on to uh we're gonna see if ajak because she was <laughs> some hike was in it for 10 minutes um cersei and sprite so we already sort of talked about the like cersei icarus relationship um wasn't too great and then the cersei with dane is his actual name in the the movie dane whitman yes indeed um i also thought he should have been in it more he was barely in it yeah he was barely in it and this is what like the very very beginning when they were in the club scene i thought was so awkward and weird and then when they're walking out later and he's walking 20 feet ahead of them of Cersei and Sprite as they're talking about like, oh, just move in with them. That I also thought was so weird. Weird yeah. Look at him walk 40 feet in front of these people. Yeah, like why is he doing that? Like who just does that? I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna we're gonna <laughs> I'm gonna we're gonna hang out all together and it's just gonna be everyone talking with Alexa and I'm gonna be forty feet in front of everybody. Just, <laughs> like looking like a stranger walking yeah. by wave just, back to Alexa, just keep walking. It's so weird that they did that. And then the deviant comes out of nowhere and starts attacking uh Cersei and then she says Dane, wait here. And then he goes run into the middle of the street where more people are so that the Deviant can endanger more people. And that seemed very weird. Well, um, what happened was the Deviant left and she was chasing it, which doesn't make sense because the Deviant is supposed to be attacking her. Right. 
in either way, it just doesn't seem logical. I mean, I guess at some point you have to have like a random deviant show up. Now that they're I thought it was fine returning. if the deviant just stayed trying to attack them. Like that would have made more sense because the whole point uh -huh. is like he realizes he can gain power. Crow realizes he can gain power from the Eternals, so he should just be attacking Eternals, which is what he tries to do. I guess he can sniff them out or something. And so like he finds her and he should just be attacking her, which he does later. But he runs away initially to go just attack random people. I guess I don't know. Uh, yeah, I know. It's not. It also weird since out. Sprite is also an Eternal, and he would have. Yeah, if there's two Eternals right there, why would you, like, leave at all instead of trying to do what you're trying to do? Yeah. Anyway, maybe that's what you the through. original purpose of, oh, just kill any intelligent life. What did Cersei change in that moment? Because Cersei, like, she the changed bus. the ground. No, before that, when uh -huh. they were by the river, she, like, changed the ground into something or something. Maybe that scared off the Deviant, and so he ran away a little bit to, like, retreat for a second, gather his consciousness, and then try and attack. But, I don't know. It's not... If I have to, if I have to think that much about it to make it make sense, it's not done well. Right. Yeah. No clue as for that. But I also want to talk about the sprite character and her whole thing of being mad that she's like resigned to being a teenager while everyone else is able to. I think that's cool. Do the adult things. Yeah, I like that. Um, that idea for sure, and how that's like the one um, unique problem that she faces that no one else is able to face. On top of all mm -hmm. the rest of being like, oh, eternal beings um having to comply with this mission of theirs um, but then she's unable to even when they're not doing the mission she's unable to truly live life because mm -hmm. um, they, they hinted that at the beginning when she's doing the projection of her being an adult mm -hmm. and she's like flirting with a right. guy and then he tries to touch her and you realize oh she can't manifest actual an actual physical adult body it's only an image so she can never have like a physical relationship with anybody which kind of sucks for seven thousand years right and you don't want to be the 7,000-year-old who has a relationship with someone that looks 12. You don't it's want to true. be that guy. It's true. Uh, I thought it was stupid that she had a, that she had a crush on Icarus. I think that came out of nowhere. <laughs> I think it was pointless. I think it was stupid. And I like the idea of that. Because, again, if, you're, if they're just the eternal beings, right – it's like they're all 7,000 millions plus a year. Like that's their consciousness where they're at. Mm -hmm. um, and so it makes sense that she might uh, like fall in love with or be attracted to Icarus. But again, because of that impediment of the body she's resigned to, um, she knows like it'll forever be unrequited. Um, I think that's an interesting dilemma that she has. I do also I like the idea initially of her going with Icarus because now when everyone sees him for who he is, like he's the one person going, no, we're going to destroy Earth and everyone's renouncing him. She's realizing, okay, this is the one time that I can get affection or attention from him because he'll have no one else. So it has to be me. And so she goes with him uh, as they're waiting for the birth of the celestial. I thought that was a very good choice. But I yeah. can't believe that they made her follow through and actually try to kill Cersei. Yeah, that just came out of nowhere. Like, like she really thought, stabbed her. I know. And I was like, it's a great thing to show, like, oh, this moment of weakness where she's latching onto the opportunity to get Icarus's attention fully. That was great. But I was like, what? When the people actually showed up and Icarus is actually fighting them to kill them. Yeah. She chooses to not just let that continue, but to join in with him and try to kill them. I was like, I can't believe that. And especially with Cersei, who yeah. they said they were like living together for 
hundreds of years at that point or something. Mm-hmm. Um, that it was, was crazy to me. It was hilarious when Drew just took her out. That was. <laughs> that was just funny. Yeah, that was really beautiful. Because um, imagine making a child sort of the secondary villain in that sequence, and then Drew just hits her with a rock on the head. It's just kind of funny. Like, imagine being Barry Kogan in that scene in, in Chloe's house, just like, you're just going to sneak up behind her and just <laughs> yeah. hit her on the Nail head. Nail her with a rock. Yeah. And that's just, he's like, can I do that? He's like, yeah. She's 7,000 years old. It's fine. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was quite curious. I also think it was so stupid that Cersei... We see her turning a deviant into the tree earlier on. And she was like, oh, we never did that before. I don't know if we can do that again. But they wouldn't have thought maybe, oh, this Unimind that we know is going to join everyone together and amplify her powers. Maybe we should try that with Cersei as well, who can they did say turn that. something to Because they brought but it they up and she was like, I don't know if I could do it again. Let's put, let's have Druig try to put it to sleep because that's a safer bet to make because she's not 100% sure she can do it ever, ever, ever again. Because she's not sure how she did it the first time, so I think, I think they covered their bases like in the minimal way possible, saying like, no, they didn't though. Because didn't she? It was like a revelation later on where she when uh, Druid got taken down, and she's like, oh, I know what I can do. Keep them busy. And it's stupid that they him. played it off as a revelation because it's not a revelation. It's like they set it up as like she might be able to do it, but they aren't sure. So they're putting the bet on Druid being able to put it to sleep because that's more of a safer bet. But now that Druid is out of commission. She's like, she has that revelation where she's like, I can do this. And then it's like, I don't understand why she has a revelation when it's more just like, this is your last bet. This is your last chance is that you have to try. Yeah, that's it's more like how it should have been played off. I didn't pick up Maybe I missed it, but yeah, I didn't see them talking about like, oh, using the Unimind to amplify her power specifically. Yeah, because they, they tell Fastos about the tree and Fastos is like, you can do that. Can you do that to Tiamat? And she's like, I don't know if I can do it. And so they're um, like, all right, let's just have Druig put it to sleep then because that's a better bet. Like, yeah, it's really weird that they would then have that revelation. Or they that is weird. When it should have yeah. been, okay, this is our last chance. Now that he's dead, I got to go try it. Because she went to go do it without even the Unimind. So uh, I don't know why she thought if she was hesitant with the Unimind, why she would suddenly be like, yes, I'm confident now that I can do it on my own. Uh, anyway, that was weird. Um, what did you think, just real quick, about Kingo leaving before the final battle i mean i guess at some point you're gonna have someone who agrees with them but refuses to fight like there's like there's 10 of them and there's uh eight of them left at this point like one of them will probably have that kind of opinion but i feel like it's weird he didn't show up halfway through or anything like he really just said goodbye i know he tried like he didn't even have like a come around he didn't have anything he did not show up yeah he said i'm not gonna be a part of this like you guys do what you have to do maybe the world ends maybe it doesn't Goodbye. I thought that was a very strange choice to make. Yeah, I thought that was like I love the fact that they had journals of differing opinions where not all of them were like, yes, we should go against the celestial and go against like this cosmic plan that has been in place forever. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was weird though to give that to Kingo, who is probably the only other person that's as integrated into human society as Fastos, and who has like his best friend with him there, and he goes, hey. Pipe down a bit. Let me tell all my eternal friends how I'm not going to fight to save humanity. And therefore, make sure that you and everyone you know and everyone you care about dies. Like, it's so weird that they had the one dude with the human sidekick um, say, yeah, I'm going to let humanity perish. I think it would have been more impactful because the whole time he's like, Icarus is the leader. Icarus is my boy. I'm going to follow Icarus. I think it would have been interesting if he 
turned on Icarus and was like, after 7,000 years, he has that like realization that he should not be listening to Icarus and that he should think for himself and defend what he loves. Like, I think that would have been more interesting than just, he's technically right, but I'm not going to fight you guys. See ya. Mm-hmm. I think that's just kind of boring. And also, who doesn't want Kumail Nanjiani? I feel like it just seems like it just seems like something where it's like they wrote it out and then they were like, oh, we can't book Kumail Nanjiani for the, the shooting of the final sequence because there's eight of them and we can't get everybody. So I guess Kumail Nanjiani just won't be a part of it and we will. But what else is he doing? It just seems like he got ripped for this part, bro. It just seems more like and, a scheduling issue than than an actual plot point. Like, it just seems like they couldn't schedule him in for this big fight. No, that would be so weird, though. But again, yeah, they didn't even have him in, like, the big final action set piece. He didn't even take his shirt off at all. He did all that working out, the whole Marvel regimen. They could have just done a muscle suit. Well, he is now ripped. I know, it could have been a muscle suit. Like, he didn't have to... I'll be honest with you, dude. If I got cast as a Marvel role, I would take the opportunity to have a fully funded personal trainer and diet plan and and get ripped and steroids i would 100 percent take that opportunity and get jacked and even if i didn't have to take my shirt off and even if i was a minor character in the movie i would absolutely take that opportunity i guess i mean yeah get try to just for yourself but eh, i don't know it was weird that that all happened and you didn't even get that big superhero moment um okay wrapping it up now with the celestials i also thought like when you get to the point where people are like literal gods, there's just gonna be so many plot holes and things that just make no sense. At mm-hmm. the end of the movie, he comes and plucks the remaining celestials from Earth and is like, I'll take you somewhere and I'll look at your memories and I'll see whether or not they deserve to live. It's like, what? If he could just come and pluck them up, why would he not have done that at any time previously? Like, when he knew that they were rebelling, why not do that? But also, when it's coming time, when the Celestial is going to get born, you don't need the Eternals there anymore. Also, why did he leave the Eternals there if the Deviants were presumably done? Also, why didn't he just kill off the Deviants? Why did he keep them around if they started rebelling? Yeah, just he literally could have come. He could have been like, oh, the Eternals, or the Deviants are doing things they shouldn't be doing. If he can pluck out the Eternals, why can't he pluck out the Deviants? Yeah, it, doesn't, it just seems like he's lazy. He's like, I don't want to go to every planet that I put demons on and take them out, so I'm just going to make little worker bees do it for me. It's just what it seems like. And also, I'm confused about the definitions of how we define Celestials and Eternals because I, it's the same thing with the comics. Is like, Eros and Thanos are Eternals. And Thanos is an Eternal with a Deviant Syndrome. But they have a home planet as opposed to being placed on a planet to help a celestial be born. So do different Eternals have different jobs? And if that's the case, is Thanos a robot like these Eternals? Yeah, that's weird. And also, why make them robots, but why give them emotions? At the same time, at the same time, Ego from Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is also a celestial like the celestials we saw. Why is he so much more emotional and so much more evil than the other ones is is celestial a more broad term than just what we have seen so far is celestial more like just a general like it is a being that is cosmically powerful and has infinite lifespan is that the definition of celestial as we know it and then eternals how can thanos be an eternal if they're robots and created by erishem is thanos created by erishem and he was put on that planet to to help it be destroyed and if so 
why did he get a conscience of his own and try to destroy half the universe, which was against Arishem's plan of creating yeah. life? And why did Arishem not stop him if he's all powerful and all knowing? Like it's just and why wouldn't the Eternals do the same thing if it if Thanos's goal, which was primarily going on on Earth, is directly to wipe out half the life in the universe, which will stunt the growth of the celestial within Earth and many other planets? Why wouldn't he task the Eternals with fighting Thanos? And also, I'm sure they're you can avoid this in the actual movies but yeah if it's if it's the comics he has the deviant gene as well then he's literally he is who they're supposed to be fighting so yes. i don't know why the eternals wouldn't be doing that it's he's just very eternal with deviant syndrome yeah it's very just filled with plot holes that can't uh, be easily explained and so it makes like the gravity of it all and the high stakes of it all just feel stupid because it doesn't actually did not yeah, they just did not define what Eternal is as well as probably the comics do in this movie. Like, I don't like that they're robots. I don't like that they're completely constructed by Arishim. I think they should have been... I need to learn more about what Eternals are in the comics because I know they're not robots. I think they are some kind of, like, like being. Like, they're their own kind of, like, physical being. And they all look like humans except for Thanos. And that's why Thanos is upset because everyone calls him ugly. <laughs> yeah. But the whole Eternals thing is confusing to me in both the movies and the comics. And so I am lost. Yes, me as well. I also, again, if he's able to create everything, why does he keep like just reusing the same Eternals? But he's like wiping their memories, but he does give them memories to have in the first place. And he makes 10 of them so they can be a family. But why not just create one singular Eternal with all 10 of the powers to do the work? But also, again, why wouldn't he just specifically himself come in and take down the Deviants? I don't know. It makes no bloody sense. This is just proof that if you create a god in any kind of medium, it's going to create plot holes in the same way that if there was a real god, it would also create plot holes in our society. What? So there is no god. This is a weird <laughs> takeaway to have from Eternals. I mean, there just can't be a god. There's just too many plot holes. I don't know about that, but wrapping up Eternals, how many seaside sunset shots out of five? Mm, three. I'll give it a 2.5. I was debating between 3 and 2.5, but I was like, I like the Amazon fight scene. I like some of the character moments. I like some. I like a lot of the shots and a lot of the CGI. Because it's, it's one of the better looking movies we got out of the COVID CGI era. Uh, I like certain moments. Yeah, I said character moments. Uh, I like Icarus flying into the sun. <laughs> I'm also it's, pro Icarus flying in the sun. I think it was hilarious. It's very, it's very predictable, and it's very much like you know, it's very much like, of course, he's Icarus who flies in the sun. Like that's stupid, but also, it is still poetic. Like that he he is is so aware that he could never reintegrate into the society because he knows that the only people that he ever cared about will hate him forever. So he just kills himself. So I understand. Like everything he did, all the horrible things he did were futile. So he's just gonna kill himself because he can't live with himself anymore. I like it. It wraps up his character nice and neat. I will miss Richard Madden, though, in the MCU. That is sad. Thoughts on the post credit scenes? We have one that is Harry Styles. 
Did yes. you like seeing Harry Styles? Thought it was all right. It wasn't as climactic as I thought it was going to be. Also, I don't know what the troll was doing. That was terrible CGI for the troll. Yeah, that's true. Um, I thought that was okay. And then the it was funny because Kid Harrington really did nothing in this movie. And then in the post credit scene, we see him find that sword, which is the one thing they're doing. Like his whole purpose here was just to set that up. Which I don't know what they're. What film they're going to continue with that with? Apparently, there's Blue, like the like, voice was it's yeah, Mahershala Ali. Ali. I mean, I'm here for it, man. Mahershala Ali and Kit Harrington just slicing up vampires for a whole movie. I can get behind that easily. I can too. That but sounds just like a great didn't know That was Mahershala Ali when we first heard it. Alexa thought, thought it was The Watcher. A lot of people thought it was The Watcher at first. And then I looked at Spencer and he goes, was that Mahershala Ali? And I was like, you're right. It is 100%. It's like I recognized it. As soon as he said it, I remembered the voice. And I was like, you're right. That is him. Mm. Yeah. That particular part I'm excited for. Also, I don't know what what they're going to be doing with Harry Styles going forward. Like, is that supposed to be set up for Eternals 2? Because I don't know. Spencer told me that in the comics, Eros is famous for uh, doing a lot of heroic stuff and becoming like, the apple of everyone's eye as opposed to Thanos. And then apparently just raping a bunch of superheroes and then going on trial and then just written out of the comics and never mentioned again. <laughs> Why? That is, this is what the character is known for in the comics. Like he's often not mentioned anymore because of his, his quest of rape, I guess, which is odd that, that... they would bring that back. That is very, very strange. I'm gonna go on a limb and say that's not what Kevin Feige is planning. I'm yeah. I don't think you're gonna. I don't think Harry Styles would sign on to that. Yeah. Oh I think, snap! You got brother Thanos, who's a rapist. I think me, Harry Styles me, is an interesting yeah. choice, but I just, I just, all I see like of all the characters, all the famous actors that are in all these movies, I can differentiate the actual actor and the character they're playing. Like I'm like, oh, Paul Rudd. But he's Ant Man in this, and Chris Evans. But he's Captain America. Like, I see Harry Styles. I see Harry Styles. Like, I don't see Eros. I see Harry Styles. Like, he's a good actor. I've seen him in Dunkirk. He's good at acting. And I don't see Harry Styles in Dunkirk. But when I see it in this movie, I'm just looking at Harry Styles, and it just makes me think Harry Styles, and it kind of takes me out of it a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see what they go for with that. I mean, it's got to be big plans if they're going to get Harry Styles to come on board for it, but. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not really excited either for In Eternals 2. Me neither, bro. So, yeah. They could probably bring back Richard Madden if they do flashback scenes. It'd be kind of cool. I'd like to see more. Richard Madden was a good part in this movie. Like, I thought he was giving a good performance there. Oh, it was all right. As an actor, I think he was doing a good job. Writing-wise, it was still wasn't the best. None of it was. But as an actor, I think Richard Madden was doing a good job. It's a complicated role to take on. Yeah. A lot of emotions there. Jim and Chan was a little disappointing. Yeah. There I didn't was... think the acting was there. It was like, I think she was better in like Crazy Rich Asians. I don't think the acting was like top tier. But like, I think Kumana Gianni knew his place as the, the funny guy who has some heart at the end and like had some emotional moments at the end. I think Sama Hayek was good as the leader. Uh, Everyone else was just sort of. I thought. I thought Barry Cogan was great as Drury. I thought he did a good job. Everyone else was just okay. But that's that's all I've got on Eternals. Three for me, two and a half for you. So Indeed. go see it if you want to. Go see it if you want to see hairstyles. Anyway, that is all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts, 
on the show or make a suggestion for the movie of the week, you can email us at theboxoffershow at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. Be sure to turn in, to tune in next week. We are talking about The Legend of Korra as a sequel to our intense Avatar discussion. <laughs> it will not be that intense. I personally, Dylan Johnson, the co-host of the show, promise you we will not do every single episode ever right. again. <laughs> yeah, it was a one-time thing. I promise you we will never spend that much that much time on any one thing ever again. It was a worthwhile effort. But I'm exhausted, and we will just be doing season by season in one episode and talking about the highlights and the downfalls of the characters, the actions, the seasons. So make sure to tune in for Legend of Korra. Have a good time. Bye.